Department of Archives and History for the special exhibit Spirits of the Passage, the story of the transatlantic slave trade, open now through August 11th. Details at twomississippimuseums.com slash spirits. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, May 9th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, we'll get an update on some strong storms moving across our state. Then the Mississippi University for Women offers free tuition to Guard members. It highlights the push to improve enrollment numbers at some state universities. Also, we'll have new stats on Mississippi's economic performance. And those stories and more, including this week's book club. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. We've seen a range of severe weather watches and warnings across the state this morning. We're joined now by Nicholas Fenner with the National Weather Service. Good morning, Nicholas. Good morning. Um, Looking at the map and looking at radar, it looks like the storms have moved into the state affecting the Delta uh, with a lot of rainfall and now into central Mississippi. Can you give us the latest, the lay of the land, so to speak? Well, that's right. We've had a a line of storms that developed overnight and has pushed across a a good portion of the state already. But uh, really overnight, it it, it poured out a lot of rain across the Delta. We had reports coming in of an excess of five to six inches and uh, a lot of that over a very short time. So we've had uh, plenty of flooding going on, say, from Cleveland up through Grenada, Grenada and those areas. Um, also getting other reports of flooded roads across the region. And uh, uh, we'll continue to see that threat as this line moves across the area uh, this morning and into this afternoon. What about a uh, recently added uh, severe thunderstorm watch for much of central Mississippi? We do have a severe thunderstorm watch, which is... Uh, in effect for a good portion of central Mississippi, um, and, and that's ahead of this line. Um, there's the potential for some damaging wind gusts uh, with a couple of portions of the line. So anybody who's out, um, you know, caught on highways or anything, in addition to the heavy rain, there'll also be the potential for trees to be downed and also high winds to cause difficulty driving if anybody's out in it. Nicholas, is this the kind of weather that could prompt a tornado? It's not entirely impossible. Um, uh, You know, it's not the highest threat with this line of storms, but certainly with severe thunderstorms, it's always a a possibility. What does it look like for the coming days? Well, after today's round of storms comes through, unfortunately, it looks like we've got uh, another few rounds still possible. Uh, We're looking at uh, our next best chance um, kind of tomorrow evening into Saturday, and that may also bring with it a chance for some possibly severe thunderstorms, but especially more heavy rain. Nicholas Fenner, a meteorologist with the National Weather Service in Jackson. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Mississippi's eight public universities plan to raise tuition by an average of 4% next fall, and there's concern that their enrollment could fall further after two straight years of declines. Jackson State University saw a big drop in 2018, nearly 10%. JSU's Dean for Enrollment Management, Warren Johnson, says tuition will increase about 5% to $4,135 this fall. Now, Johnson says the university is cutting its out of 
out-of-state fee from about $11,000 to $1,000. We had to look at this, too, from are we pricing ourselves out of a market? So while charging an out-of-state fee, are we creating an exorbitant burden for the students who come from out-of-state But then they find it difficult to remain if they choose you in the first place because they can't afford it. Another example, the Mississippi University for Women reported a drop of 1.8% last year. MPB's Jasmine Ellis spoke with the W's president, Nora Miller, about tuition there. How much does it cost to currently attend your institution, um, Mississippi University for Women, and then how much will it go up to? In- For this year, it was $6,940, um, and that included a capital improvement fee, and that was the total tuition and required fees. Uh, starting in the fall, full-time tuition and fees for fall and spring semester together will be $7,525. And are those fees the same for in-state and out-of-state students? They are. They are. We have Whether traveling through Oxford or Tupelo, stuck in, in traffic in Jackson or Meridian, or cruising along the coast in Biloxi or Ocean. that they are paying is helping to keep the total tuition down for Mississippi residents also. So there's the, the one fee whether you are a resident or not. What is the institution doing to make sure that students are going to be able to afford an education? Well, we we tried to keep our increase, you know, to a minimum, but we have certain costs that go up every year for for software, for certain programs, for utilities. So we're very mindful, and we kept that increase uh, as small as we possibly could. We we are diligent, you know, trying to find textbooks and course materials that that cost less. Um, we encourage students to take advantage of taking more than 12 hours per semester. We have uh, 12 hours equates to full-time tuition. It costs the same whether you're taking 12 hours or if you're taking 18 hours. So we try to really uh, emphasize that with students, that they can they can kind of control their own cost that way by making sure that they're taking enough courses to graduate in four years. The W just announced the free tuition program for students in the Mississippi National Guard. Yes, we were excited to have this opportunity to um, show our appreciation for uh, those who serve in the Mississippi Army or Mississippi Air Guard. There's some assistance that's provided from the federal government and from the state government uh, for their tuition, and we will um, apply those first and apply any other aid and then uh, pick up whatever the difference is so that the, the guardsmen can, can attend tuition-free. We see some, some great benefits and some opportunities, particularly um, General Boyles was very interested in the, the nursing programs and those in health-related professions. How has enrollment been at your institution over the past uh, year or so? Uh, The past year, we had a slight decrease. It was like 1.8%, which was pretty much the same uh, throughout the IHL system on on average. So I think what we're seeing is um, the demographics, uh, fewer 18-year-olds, and we're also seeing that it's a good job market right now. Uh, The unemployment rate is low, but we we look to remain steady or or grow slightly next year. And I think that this partnership with the Guard will help us 
with growth in that area. Do you have any advice for students who are concerned about, you know, with tuition going up and making sure that they are able to afford their education who might not be in the National Guard or Army members or they might not be on scholarship? Do you have any advice for them on how they can be successful when trying to matriculate through the institution? Uh, Number one, complete the FAFSA, which is the free application for federal student aid to see if they qualify for anything. Also, to inquire about scholarship opportunities, look at if a tuition payment plan is available so that you can stretch it out over over a time period and not have to come up with it all in August and January. Um, also, look for uh, jobs on campus. There are, are student work employment opportunities, and uh, the more connected students are to campus, uh, the more likely they are to complete and, and finish on time. Also look at uh, renting your textbooks. Uh, Some textbooks you may want to to keep afterwards, especially like nursing. Some of those, they want to buy those books and keep them because they're going to be referring back to them. But when rentals are available or going for used books. But the most expensive college education anybody ever gets is one that is not completed. Nora Miller is president at the Mississippi University for Women. Thank you so much, President Miller. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Jason. Coming up, fresh economic indicators for the state. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Everybody likes to drive a nice, shiny car, but what kind of soap do you use? Can you just squirt out the dish soap? How do you get that black stuff off the wheels? Cleaning your car down to the very last bit will be our topic of the next autocorrect. Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, can also take your repair questions. Email your questions to auto at mpbonline.org. Join us today at 10 a.m. on MPB Think Radio or on the Internet at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis has some interesting economic news for Mississippi. The state's real gross domestic product grew by just 1% in 2018. But that's a little better than in years past. We spoke with Corey Miller. He's an economic analyst with the University Research Center. What is real GDP and why does it matter? Real GDP is the most common measure of economic output for a, an area, usually a, a nation or a state. It matters because it's it's showing the, a, a broad measure of, of economic activity. The BEA finds Mississippi's real GDP grew at half a percent in the fourth quarter of 2018 and one percent of all of last year. How does that compare to recent years? Uh, the one percent for 2018 is the highest we've had since uh, before the Great Recession. Uh, the highest we'd had previous to 2018 was nine-tenths of a percent in 2012. Uh, so that's was the highest annual growth we had since 2008. All of this data is subject to revision, um, but the quarterly numbers especially can get revised a lot. But I, I've, I've been focusing mostly on, on the annual number. Now, even though that 1% is the highest in recent years, is 1% significant? No, not really. Uh, I mean, in terms of, of what other states have done, I think that was like 42nd uh, among compared to other states. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a relatively low rate of growth, yes, even though it's the highest we've seen in, in quite some time. 
Tennessee grew 3%, uh, Florida grew 35 So agriculture, manufacturing are two important sectors in the state's economy. Mm-hmm. How did they fare in this new report? Manufacturing along with the healthcare sector were the two largest contributors to, to the growth in uh, 2018. Of that 1% combined, those two were a little over 40% of the 1% uh, came from those two sectors. Uh, agriculture was also a, a positive co- uh, contributor. Um, but a somewhat, somewhat smaller share. In terms of gross domestic product, real uh, GDP, largest output comes from government. Uh, that's federal, state, and local combined, and then followed by, closely followed by manufacturing. Do you have any sense of how global trade issues are impacting or are they impacting agriculture and manufacturing? Uh, on the agriculture side, I think the main impact has, has been lower prices uh, because there are fewer markets to sell and the lack of demand from China has reduced some of those those prices. On the manufacturing side, I, I'm, I'm not as certain. I don't think the impact has been as, as noticeable on, on the manufacturing side. Getting back to this 1% mm-hmm. uh, growth, should Mississippians be satisfied with this economic performance? You said that the, that the numbers... The numbers will be revised, particularly the quarterly numbers. Right. What can Mississippi anticipate in the coming year? Our forecast is, is for similar growth um, of around 1% to a little, a little more, slightly above 1%. Uh, that's kind of our expectation for the next uh, 12 to 18 months. So holding steady pretty much? Mm-hmm. If we had a stronger national economy, and that's what we, that's kind of what we saw in 2018, we had a stronger national economy that helped pull uh, Mississippi economy along. Uh, that That's one of the reasons we haven't had particularly strong annual growth since the end of the recession because we haven't had it at, at a national And as national I understand, level. though, didn't Mississippi take a longer time to come out of that recession? We did. Uh, and part of that was because of the industries that get hit the most during a recession, like uh, manufacturing, particularly low-skilled manufacturing, um, because manufacturing has a, a larger presence in the Mississippi economy than in the national economy. So that was part of the reason we've taken longer to, to bounce back. And if the national economy starts to drag, then that will make Mississippi drag? It, it makes it tougher, yes. What can Mississippians, our listeners, and, take away from this report in a real sense? Would this have any effect on a person's life in Mississippi? Direct I effect? I think it just gives us a sense that our economy is growing uh, at a relatively slow rate. Uh, it, it is growing. Um, it's probably not quite where we want to be. Corey Miller is an economic analyst with the University Research Center. Corey, thank you very much for your input today. Okay. All right. Thank you. Coming up in our book club, an author discusses her new book on Harper Lee's Passion Project. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Palette to Palette is back with Chef Robert St. John and artist Wyatt Waters. Join us this week on Palette to Palette. We spend the entire episode in the Walter Anderson Museum. And I get to paint in the beautiful community center with all those great murals. And we have a special guest you're never going to believe who drops by. Join us this week on Palette to Palette. Right? See you there. That's Palette to Palette. Thursday at 7.30 on MPB Television. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
When Harper Lee followed Truman Capote to Kansas to investigate the gruesome murders of a family, it wasn't merely out of friendship. Lee was an aficionado of real crime stories and hoped one day to write her own in cold blood. In her first book, Curious Hours, Casey Sepp tells the story of a murder case that captured Harper Lee's attention and of the book Lee never wrote. She was the daughter of a lawyer. One of her older sisters was a lawyer. Now, they didn't practice much criminal law, but she was absolutely fascinated by crime and liked to go sit in on trials in the local courthouse. One of her older sisters had lived through the Leopold and Loeb case and followed that uh, with absolute attention. And Lee herself loved Sherlock Holmes. She read true detective stories as a kid. What led her to go with Capote to Kansas was a pre-existing interest in crime, and she continued to read true crime books her whole life. Uh, She followed her nose not only as a writer, but as a reader as well. Tell us a little about this case that she followed. It's a really interesting story. So she came into the picture in 1977 when rural minister in Alexander City, Alabama, was gunned down at the funeral of his stepdaughter, Now, that would have been newsworthy in its own right, but he was gunned down at that funeral by another relative of the young girls who believed, in fact, that the reverend had been the one to murder her. And it was an incredible case in this part of Alabama. People had been following it for years because, in fact, that stepdaughter was only the fifth of the reverend's relatives to turn up dead under suspicious circumstances. He had life insurance policies on all of them. So the motive was clear to the folks around Lake Martin that he was killing these family members for the insurance money. And when the police couldn't stop him and when they couldn't hold him responsible for these crimes or convict him of murder, another one of the girl's relatives gunned him down. So Harper Lee came to town in 1977. She arrived and covered the trial of the vigilante who murdered the reverend and got to know law enforcement officers and lawyers and coroners and folks who had been involved in the story from 1970 until 1977 when she got to town. How much time did she spend researching this case? Yeah, it's really tricky for someone like me who's trying to put Harper Lee on a map and plot out her days on a calendar. She was exceedingly private and secretive, but as best we can tell, and some of this is from correspondence she wrote at the time, some of this is putting together a chronology of the interviews she did, because of course, for some of these folks, getting interviewed by Harper Lee was the most exciting thing that ever happened to them, so they have a very clear memory of it. And piecing together all of that evidence and and documentary evidence, it seems like she was in town for at least nine months, almost a year, and that ongoingly, um, for a decade after, she attempted to turn all of that reporting into a book. So we have letters from her to Gregory Peck in the early 80s, where four or five years into this, she's still trying to shape all of her reporting into a book. What happened to the book? Why did it never see the light of day? (laughs) The million-dollar question. So I think very straightforwardly, Harper Lee's life as a writer was complicated and difficult, and she was a perfectionist, and she struggled with a lot of projects after To Kill a Mockingbird, both getting to work on them and completing them. So there's the kind of writerly problem, and some people would call it writer's block, but she seems to have had a more complicated relationship to writing and how to do it. 
on top of that were what people close to her would say were emotional problems and addiction problems. She had a drinking problem that was exacerbated by her struggles with writing, and she was known to be a sort of volatile personality and prone to depression. And all of these things together made writing in general difficult for her. With regard to the Maxwell case, this true crime project, on top of those kind of general frustrations and difficulties with writing, were some really specific ones about this case. And the details of the original crimes were extremely complicated and convoluted. There had not been any convictions. In fact, some of the deaths weren't even officially declared homicides because a cause of death could never be determined. And there was a lot of civil litigation around the life insurance. So Harper Lee joked with some people in town that she was struggling because the book was turning out to be a history of life insurance. So there were there were specific difficulties with this book and general difficulties with writing. Now, having said that, there are a lot of people I interviewed who are absolutely convinced she wrote the whole book and just didn't publish it. So it's a mystery on top of a mystery, both how much she actually wrote and whatever she wrote, what she decided to do about it. Do you know if Harper Lee ever followed other crimes such as this? There's no indication she took any as seriously as this. One funny story I was told was Harper Lee had two older sisters, and one lived in Monroeville and one lived over in Eufaula. And the sister in Eufaula was actually following a case not unlike the Reverend Maxwell. So it was a local minister accused of killing two of his wives, not at the same time, obviously, but in succession. And she followed that and reported on it to Harper Lee, but there doesn't seem to be any evidence that Harper Lee ever came to town or did any interviewing. They just like to read crime coverage, and they talked about cases like this all the time, local and national stories. But again, the Maxwell case is truly significant because of the amount of time and money and resources in general she devoted to it. So there's no indication that she ever undertook another writing project like this, even though she followed a lot of criminal stories her whole life long. This book is called Furious Hours, Murder, Fraud, and the Last Trial of Harper Lee. We've been speaking with its author, Casey Sepp. Thank you, Casey. Of course. Thanks so much. The National Weather Service in Jackson has issued a tornado warning for northern Rankin County, northeastern Hines County, and south-central Madison County. At 842, a severe thunderstorm capable of producing a tornado was located near Jackson, moving east at 30 miles per hour. Radar has indicated rotation. This dangerous storm will be near Ridgeland and Flowood around 855. So in about three minutes, Madison around 9 o'clock, Fannin around 9.15, Goshen Springs around 9.20, Pisgah around 9.25, Pilahatchee around 9.30, and Leesburg around 9.35. This thunder, or this tornado warning is in effect until 9.45. A tornado warning, radar indicated rotation. This is the time to get into your safe place. Take cover now. Move to a basement or an interior room on the lowest floor of a sturdy building. Avoid windows. And if you're outdoors in a mobile home or in a vehicle, move to the closest substantial shelter and protect yourself from flying debris. Again, a tornado warning in effect until 945 for Northern Rankin, Northeastern Hines and South Central Madison County. 
Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Creature Comforts. At 10, it's AutoCorrect. At 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. And if you missed part of the show today, find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online by visiting mpbonline.org. You can also download the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores, or you can subscribe to Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Department of Archives and History for the special exhibit Spirits of the Passage, the story of the transatlantic slave trade. Open now through August 11th. Details at 2MississippiMuseums.com slash spirits. Right on, Mississippi. PSA Layman. We could all be living other places, but that Mississippi, that thing that made me, like, I just couldn't see or feel any of it when I was up in New York. I needed that spirit. I needed that force. Angie Thomas. I love every time black kids especially come up to me, Mm -hmm. and they're like, this is the first time I've read a book from beginning to end. This is the first time I've seen myself in a book. Right on, Mississippi. A podcast coming May 14th from the Mississippi Book Festival and MPB. I'm Robin Young. Cartoonist Roz Chast and writer Patty Marks of The New Yorker have a new book, Roz's illustrations of Patty's mom's sayings. For instance, here, drawn by Roz, on gravestones. This is mom's mortuary. Uh, uh, He moved to Florida, and boom, five minutes later, he was dead. (laughs) Next time, here and now. Today at noon on MPB Think Radio.